You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Welcome to Purpose Through Pain podcast. On this episode, we have an amazing friend of mine, Serena. This lady right here has gone through some stuff. And as we've promised you guys, we are bringing the best of the best on our episodes This lady has gone through some extreme obstacles uh, personally and professionally in her life. She started her life in a witness protection program, nine different foster homes, teenage addiction, homelessness, her husband's recent suicide, things that she faced were unimaginable for most people that they've seen in their lifetime, in their lifehood. But despite her challenges, she has found some real sense and purpose along the way. And I think she's an amazing fit for our podcast, Purpose Through Pain. And she is going to share with us today how she's taking these trials and this painful experience that she's gone through in life and has not only just found a purpose, but is helping so many other people find their purpose to include myself And I just want to welcome you so much, Serena. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So tell us, uh, I I don't, it's so, this is so, where do you start? You've gone through so much (laughs) and just just to hear you laugh brings so much joy to me, but you recently went through the death of your husband and in the midst of all that, you found out a lot of other things that not only went on throughout your marriage, but surfaced up during your marriage from your childhood. I don't know if pain is even the word to describe what you've gone through. Tell us some of the experience that you've gone through in life that was painful, stemming all the way back to your childhood, even into your marriage, and even now where you're at. What, is, what exactly does purpose through pain mean to you? Well, purpose through pain actually means a lot to me. It's, I like to describe it as we, we have a tendency to look at like the fight to never give up as being painted as victorious. And so all of us are fighting towards something bigger. And we often emphasize victory as someone overcoming something great and being happy as they stand strong. But the truth is that pain And the journey behind the victory is really where the truth and the inspiration lies because you, through all of that pain, that's where you gain insight and understanding. And I have a a little mantra or a saying that I've said for probably 10 years is you find joy in the suffering. And it's not because the suffering is joyful by any means but because there's some sort of hope knowing that after you get through all that suffering, that something beautiful is going to come out of it. And so that's really what I believe is, is purpose through pain. And to share a little bit about some of the things I've experienced and so that the audience knows, I know, but my, as a child, my, my biological father was the leader of a satanic cult. And he sexually abused myself and my sister. 
we couldn't get out of the environment that we were in because he was constantly recording or having people follow us everywhere. My mom at many times tried to, to get us out, but there was no way out. He was always had a member of the cult following us. There was always something that was holding us in this dark environment. In fact, my sister was his stepdaughter and didn't even realize that he was sexually abusing me because he was sexually abusing her. And she thought that by her complying that he would leave me alone. And what he would tell me is that I, there's many times I would see him fighting with my mom and putting a gun in her mouth when I was five years old. And what he would tell me is if I didn't do what he told me to do, that he would hurt my mom. And so as this like young little girl, I'm exposed to so many things. He took my virginity before the age of five in that environment. Not only was it dark and lots of, of things through the cult, what make it very scary was also the fact that we were surrounded by drugs and sex and abuse in that environment. I apologize. My dog is here. <laughs> But what made that really the start of the story was that the only way they knew that something was wrong was that I would hide in the closet as a five-year-old little girl. And I didn't know how to articulate some of the things that I had been going through. And when finally we were able to get out of that environment, we were ripped out of my mom's arms and put directly into witness protection because they looked at my mom as she put us in that unsafe environment. And so she had to earn her rights back as a parent as my sister and I went through these foster homes. And that was the beginning of my story. Wow. Was that a leading to you getting involved in addictions and things like that? What changed when you went from foster home to foster home? What were you experiencing there? You had to get close to some of these people. You had to have some sort of relationship with these foster homes, did you not? No, actually, they were very toxic. The challenge with the foster care system back at that time specifically was in the 80s. And what would happen is the moment that somebody found out where we were, we would have to actually be moved in the middle of the night. So there is a lot of there was remember back in the 80s, there's no computers. There's they're literally placing you with random families. In some cases, families wouldn't even speak English. Wow. So there was no way of connecting with these families because I literally came from a completely different world. And now remember, as a little girl, I didn't know what was happening to me it wasn't normal. It was the only thing I knew. So being ripped out of that, whether good or bad, in my perception, I didn't know like how to adapt to all these different types of homes. One of the families that I was with was an, an, an Asian family. And I, I remember because I wouldn't eat any of the food that they would make, they had my sister and I peel potatoes every day and they would make us French fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because they couldn't communicate with us. To, and I had no idea what environment I was in. So there would be very like a huge cultural differences also, in some of these environments, they were squeezing six kids to one room. And so you're exposed to all these different kids in all these different places. And the minute you start to get comfortable, 
you're ripped out in the middle of the night and put in a completely different location. And then you're like at six years old. I remember there was one foster home that I was in that they had a hallway and in this hallway, they had one of those accordion doors that, that they had a little latch on. So they would lock us in this hallway and we were only allowed and the rooms were in the hallway. So there was three rooms. And so we were only allowed to come out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And each time in between, they would put us back in our rooms and latch this door so that we couldn't get out of the hallway. And I remember in my mind, I was thinking, like, why am I being locked up? I didn't even do anything wrong. Yeah. Remember, I'm also in a whole different environment from where I was a few days prior. And one night they forgot to latch that door in the hallway. And I remember I'm six years old. I had a light blue sweater on with, with sequins. It was a unicorn. Okay. On my shirt. This, I remember it like it was yesterday. I had a Stater Brothers bag, <laughs> one of the old style bags yeah. with my naked Barbie and a pair of jeans. And I ran away. I left right outside that hallway that they left open that night went out the big giant double doors, which was the doors outside. And I was determined to go find my mom. Now, could you imagine it's midnight and a little six-year-old is walking around like she owns the street. (laughs) The neighbor had saw me because they came home late that night. And as they were pulling into their driveway, I was like a deer in headlights standing there with my Stater Brothers bag, just marching my way away from this foster home. Right. And they called the police, of course. I didn't know at the time, but the number that I first gave them was for my biological father's house because that's the only number I knew at six years old. So when they called him, his response was, thank you for letting me know where she is. I'll come get her. And they started to start get worried. They called the police. And I promise you, at six years old, I was at this person's house and I had at least three or four police cars surrounding the house. And they asked me, why did you run away? And I was so young at the time, I couldn't articulate why I was running. All I could say is I want my mom and I want her now. (laughs) And at the time they couldn't give me that. And so I was either running or hiding as a child. That was how I started my life. How did that stem into adulthood? in every way imaginable. And still today, unfortunately, I still have to be highly sensitive and aware. So fast forward to when I was in high school, my mom had finally earned her rights back as a, to, as a parent. My, my biological father was incarcerated by this point. And I, at this point, I had already been so independent that I, I couldn't even connect with my mom. Mm. Now today, my mom is my best friend, but back then as a young teenager, I left home and I ran away and I lived on the streets for over a year and a half and enrolled myself into high school. But that was another example of me running. I was yeah. constantly running away. And then it then interprets to now. How much of that did you blame on your mom? what's interesting is a lot of people look to others to blame, but when you are a child that goes through so much trauma, you become highly sensitive 
of everything around you. In fact, you start to blame yourself for everything that happens. So a lot of my childhood and even my teenage years, I actually blamed myself. I blame myself for putting myself in bad situations. When I was raped, when I was living on the streets, I was raped by two on two different occasions. One when I was 16 by a 40 year old man and one when I was about 17 by a, a 22 year old man. And so what did I do in that point? I blamed myself. I put myself there. If I didn't choose this path, then I wouldn't have been in that situation. So even with some of the things that had happened with my childhood and growing into a young adult, I actually had to learn how to forgive myself more than I, I actually forgave all the people that hurt me, but the person I didn't forgive was me. And I had to learn that over time. Yeah. What was it that, at what point did you learn that? What, what point did you grasp the concept of, I've got to forgive myself for me to go Gosh. through healing? How, how do I go about this? So I knew at my core that forgiveness was for me. Like when you forgive others, it really is for you. Yeah. But what I didn't realize is that when I was forgiving others, I wasn't letting myself like actually off the hook. <laughs> I would take ownership and accountability for what everyone else was doing. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I actually was in some more intensive therapy. I'd gone to therapy my whole life. So I was actually the therapist to my therapists. Right. <laughs> but when I was in my late 20s, I went to an intensive, like really individual self-healing workshop. And they had us look in the mirror and actually say the things that we were ashamed of. Say the things that we've done to hurt others and looking at yourself in the mirror while you say these things. And then they had us like talk about some of the negative things that we say to ourselves. And they stopped us and they said, if you were looking at that five-year-old little girl instead of the woman you are today, would you be saying those things to yourself? And it's all those negative things that we say, I'm not enough, or it's my fault, or I did this, or how we shame ourselves and blame ourselves. And I was like, God, I would never say that to a little girl that, and they said, then why are you saying it to yourself? Wow. And I learned at that time that I had to let go Yeah. because I was just bringing up that little girl over and over again. And I was just hurting her more by not letting that pain finally forgive myself and let that pain aside. Well, that's good. That's good. You reconnected with your mom in high school. Okay? Yes. What yes. happened after that connection? You said you were, you had that independency life already. <laughs> what stemmed from there? I was wild. Imagine you grew up in nine different foster homes. And when I did live with family, there was cruel and unusual like types of punishment because no one could handle me. My mom through all of this was my saving grace, but because I was so rebellious by the time I was 15 years old, I wouldn't accept anything from anyone. And so I looked at it as I, it wasn't about my mom when I left, it was about me. I needed to face 
some of these things in life. And she knew that she couldn't hold me back because I'd already been through so much. And so it was one of those things where I know that she had to make a conscious decision to just let me fly. And even though I was flying right into a bunch of trouble, (laughs) she knew that there was nothing that was going to hold me back at that time. I was so rebellious. I had in that, you know, time in my life, I had started using drugs, started living on the streets. Even though I was still going to high school, I had three jobs. There was no Uber back then. So I (laughs) took the bus to all three jobs and yeah, it was incredible in the, if you look at it from, I have a 14 year old daughter now, and I couldn't even fathom my daughter living the life that I lived on the streets. There was nights where I stayed in abandoned houses on old mattresses because I didn't have a place to sleep that night, or I would sleep in someone's shed in the back of their house because I, it was raining outside and I needed to find someplace warm, but then I would still get up the next morning and go to school so I could finish my education because I knew that would just be more on my plate if I didn't. Now, having a 14-year-old daughter, I look at that now, oh my gosh, I couldn't even imagine what my mom was thinking or feeling in that time when she felt like she had no control because I had chose my path. Yeah. So you get out of high school, you've done drugs, you're finding your own way in things. Let's fast forward to your marriage. Okay. With Kyle. All right. Yeah. How did, and, and the reason why, not that I want to skip over anything, your childhood has led up to this moment. Everything that you've gone through has led up to this moment. Now you've already got two kids at this time. Okay. And what just, just kind of go from there because this is to me, this is like not the saying everything else wasn't painful, but this is really a benchmark in your childhood set the stone, but now this is a huge middle chapter, so to say of your life that has brought you to the point where you're at now. So how, tell me how all that, how, what all happened? So at this point, I'm a single mom of two, um, a son and a daughter at the time. My daughter was three and my son was seven. And I meet Kyle and he is charismatic. He's good at everything. Everyone loves this guy. He can sing. He can play guitar. He could fix a car. The most like amazing person you'll ever meet sweeps you right off your feet. There, I, I was blindsided and I was a little skeptical at first, of course, but there was something about him that drew me in. And as much as I even tried to run from him, there was something that really kept a hold on me. And he had a six month old son at the time. He was going through his own situation. I had just been a single mom of my two kids. So it was already messy starting, but we were so wrapped up in the excitement and the passion that messy didn't even matter at that time. We dated for two years and then we had gotten married. And I, at the time I was a, a VP of marketing in um, a Mormon-based company, even though I don't have that same belief system, I was living by their rules. And what had happened is about two weeks after we just got back from our honeymoon, we just blended our family, a woman walks into my office and I was in an executive suite. So no one just walks into the executive suite unless like they'd already seen the receptionist or 
but she just walked in and she looked me straight in the eye and she said my name. And in that moment, my like heart literally dropped into my stomach and she sat down in front of me and shared with me. She described my kids. She described my house and said that she had been with my husband for the last year and sent me over 300 messages, videos, photos, text messages of their conversations, their interactions. And I literally, in this moment, I had just gotten back from my honeymoon. I was in my office at this the reason why I mentioned their religious beliefs in this company is because you can imagine that all of this is going through my mind. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What am I about? What am I going to do? And I wasn't angry with her. What was odd is that I felt sad for her in my mind at that moment. I thought like from her perspective, I was the other woman and, she, and he chose me, even though I had no idea that she existed. And I was so blown away at that moment. I couldn't even articulate what I was feeling or going through because it was so intense. And when I confronted Kyle about this, he just fell on the floor and just was crying. And it just became a huge tornado of emotions and mess. And that was the first time that he had shown signs of trying to hurt himself or, and and at the time I thought like he's trying to take the attention off of what he did and he's trying to put it and redirect that attention somewhere else. And so I was just trying to retain what was happening because it was so much in such a short period of time. And that was only two weeks after we were first married. Now, fast forward, we healed from that. We got stronger. We went through marriage counseling, marriage boot camp, marriage, everything. (laughs) We were the strongest, like you could ever imagine. Like we were counseling other couples because we got through it. But there was a lot of sides of Kyle that were very dark. And when he would fall into that darkness or depression, I would try and fix I would try and protect. Which we both learned and have talked about. That's right. Like I would, if there was anything that you could totally nail me for is I literally was trying to hide everything that he did. Yeah. And only so that people would see the good side of him and not see all that I saw. And I didn't tell anyone about the time that he had been unfaithful. Then three years later, he was unfaithful again. And this was a completely different woman. And at this point I had found out about three months into their relationship. Now this was a complete accident. I wasn't even seeking out the information. I was sitting at the the pool with him and his phone went off. So I went to go hand it to him. I didn't even think about it. And I looked down and it said, I thought you were leaving her. I thought we were going to be together. And then my mind, I just lost it. (laughs) And that was the second time. And that night, as the emotions unfolded, he was drinking, he was driving drunk, he left where we were at the time, was sending me photos of him cutting himself, telling me that he can't live without me. 
and that she didn't mean anything to him and that this was a mistake. And so if coming from my perspective, I'm like, now in this whirlwind of emotions, I can't even deal with my own feelings around this because all I'm now worried about is his safety and him like, what do I do at this point? And instead of really like facing the pain, like I did the first time I retracted, I started to get depressed. I started to hide in the closet again. As an adult woman, I was hiding in the closet. I would pretend like everything was okay during the day. And after I tucked my kids into bed, after I ran the company during the day, after I did all the things I was supposed to do, I would go in the closet and I would cry. And it just tore me down. It started to impact my body, my health, everything about my life, because I just kept hiding all the pain. Now I was talking about this with my counselor and I was trying to work on our marriage, but there was something that was underlying that wasn't getting fixed. And I didn't realize that fast forward to the third time that I find out that he's unfaithful, that he had chosen this path and these choices And throughout the entire 10 years of marriage, I was just trying to fix. I was trying to protect. I was trying to hide. And I wasn't really being fully like vulnerable and honest with myself or with anyone else because I was trying to cover up all the things that he was doing because we owned a business. I didn't want anyone to see this dark side because I thought that our kids, I had to keep them together. By this point, they're... 12 and 14. And his son by this point was 10. Like I was trying to look at it like I have to protect my family. So I'm going to hide all this stuff so that it doesn't hurt anyone. In reality, what it was doing is it was tearing me apart. And when I finally got the courage to leave and it took a lot for me to leave because I can endure a lot. I was like, I got this. I'm going to keep fixing. I mean, you were <laughs> Until I realized- using you were ultimately using survival because of what you had to face as a young kid. But yet at the same time, you were still trying to not only fix things, but you were also trying to take, you were taking the blame for all. Oh yeah. I was owning all of it. Yeah. I was, I, in my mind, I was like, what could I have done differently? What could I be a better wife if I did this? And maybe he wouldn't cheat if I did that. I was constantly trying to what my counselor would say is you're on a hamster wheel. You're just on this hamster wheel trying to like constantly like manage all these unrealistic expectations. And in my mind, I really believed that I was trying to be like overachieve at being a wife and overachieve at being a mom and overachieve at owning a business. But in reality, what I was doing is I was compacting all of my fears and pain instead of facing it. And when I finally got the courage to leave, It was only because my counselor had said, you can't earn love. It has to be freely given. And in that moment, I said, what do you mean I can't earn love? I'm awesome. I can earn it. I am an overachiever. I could do anything. And he said, no, you cannot earn it. It has to be freely given. And in that moment, I knew, okay, I said, I know it's time to leave, but I'm scared. 
He said, what are you scared of? I said, I'm scared that Kyle's going to be suicidal. I'm scared that I'm going to tear my family apart. I'm scared that I'm going to lose my business and my house and all the things that I work so hard for. And he said, okay, those are valid fears, but what's stopping you from facing those fears when you face so much? And, and I said, me. <laughs> but what was it about you that was stopping you? What was it about you itself? The fear of being rejected, the fear of loss, the fear of not being enough. But the truth was, is that I could not see my own worthiness because I was drowning in other people's expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I finally got the courage to leave, it was October of 2019. No one in my entire family, his side or my side knew anything about our marriage, including our kids. And so remember that I gave you a whole whirlwind of things that were happening behind the scenes, but I was strong on the forefront and pretending that everything was okay. When in reality, it was falling apart. And so I had to actually go to my kids and let them know, like, I had to make this decision. I had to go to my family, moving out of the the house and, and making all this happen once I found out about the third woman. And I remember that I had to tell my staff because he was also working in the business that I'd started. And I looked at it like, oh my gosh, this is everything. And when I told my staff, that's also when I found out that he was with one of my former employees that I had not known about at the time. My son had told me at the point, this point, my son was 18 and he told me there's a lot of things that he knew were happening, but didn't know how to tell me because he didn't want to see my heartbreak. And as this is all unfolding, I'm moving out of the house and, and I'm in that whirlwind of, oh my gosh, like even more things are being uncovered. But I was determined that I had to find that courage to leave and I had to stick with it because in this point, like I had given 10 years of my life to him and I couldn't continue to walk that path. And so I went on my healing journey. And as I watched, he was on this downward spiral and he was, I left in October, he was in a new relationship in November. He was seeing all types of women. He started doing drugs and just living the bachelor life. And it was on uh, March 27th that I got the call. He had sent me a text message that night and the text message said, I'm so sorry for all the pain that I have caused. And I'm so thankful for all the memories. And I remember when I got that text message, I felt so hopeful. There's a turning point. He's changing. He's finally acknowledging that like what had happened and he's taking ownership. And I'm so, I was actually excited. And I sent him a message back and I said, thank you so much. That means the world to me that you acknowledge that. And I go back to sleep. That was at 3 a.m. And by 8 a.m. that morning, I had six missed calls from unknown numbers and a frantic call from the woman that he was seeing at the time. And I call her back. I could barely understand what she's saying. And all I heard was you're the next of kin and you need to go to the hospital. And uh, I'm, I'm in shock at this point. I have no idea what's happening. I live literally a block away from the hospital. She's referencing I told my daughter to stay home. I, my son at the time was 18 and 
or 19, 18. So I had him come with me. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but let's go make sure everything's okay. And all I knew that Kyle was in the hospital. So at this point, COVID just hit and it was like, it, everything was dark and mysterious at the hospital in general, cause it was empty because no one was allowed in and out at that time. And they had us sit in this dark room. And I remember like looking at this dark room, my dad's been in the hospital, but I've never sat in this dark room before. So I thought my son looks over at me, he's mom, don't think negative. It's probably because of the situation with COVID and a detective walks in and the nurse walks in and they said that he was uh, dead on arrival. And then after uncovering what had happened that night, the woman that he was seeing, they were both being unfaithful at the time. But that night she had come over with her three-year-old daughter. And after they were together, she fell asleep. He started going through her phone and she woke up. They got into an argument. More than likely, he went back into his suicidal tendencies where he's saying that he's going to hurt himself. She called the police And when the police arrived, she ran outside with her three-year-old daughter. And as the police officer walked in that night, before he can tell Kyle to put down the gun, Kyle shot himself in the head in front of the police officer. And that was on March 27th, 2020. So just right out a year ago. Yeah. before we get into how you've moved on, because you're definitely in a better place, and we've had some talks behind the scenes How did you're dealing with rejection, you're dealing with abandonment, you're dealing with the fear of loss, all these things that you suffered as a child, your mom and dad not being there for you, the the molestation and things like that. And then of course the rape, and then you were always turning towards something else. You were running. And because we ultimately, when we don't know what to do, what do we do? We run. And, but in, in the midst of it, you're trying to find your worth. Yes. You know, and. Which my worthiness, remember, for my whole life was based on serving other people. Yeah. So the more that I gave of myself, the more I found my worth. But in reality, that's selfish because you think that giving to others is selfless unless you're doing it for the wrong reason. I found my worth by sacrificing my needs for the needs of others. And in reality, that would only be healthy if I was doing it with good intentions, but I was doing it to feel worthy. Yeah, I wasn't just doing it to serve. To our listeners that are going through, even myself, we've talked about this, the fear of loss, losing my wife, the fear of my, you know, losing my mom, things like that. And then rejection from my father, which stemmed into a lot of other things in my young adulthood to even, I'm in my forties now. And how would you say that's a key thing about finding your worth? Because there's definitely women out there that have gone through similar situations or even husbands, unfaithfulness. And now they're like, they're blaming themselves. Why? If you were better this, or maybe even feeling, I, I should have been better. I should have done this. I should have done this. And because I look back at my own marriage and knowing that my wife passed away, I ran across journals of her. And unbeknownst to me is there was a disconnect there. And I look at it now, I'm like, oh my God. And it's hard not to blame yourself, especially when nobody's there now. Oh, I can't, I can't yeah. apologize. I, I can't. But the only thing that we can all do is 
give that self-reflection, be like, you know what, I am worthy of things, of being, being a better person or not being treated, but how do, what would you say to people that are listening that have gone through similar situations or even things that just, you have the rejection, the abandonment, the, the loss, the control, the need to fix things to, to find their worth without being selfish, So we often worry so much about the perception of others that we change our behavior or we hide ourselves in order to earn approval. Mm. And when we do that, we blame and we shame ourselves to justify or victimize our behavior, or we justify our past as our trigger to our current behavior. And what we're doing is we're just continuously cycling through, trying to gain approval, trying to gain acceptance, instead of stopping and truly accepting ourselves. The biggest thing about finding worthiness is if we choose to look inward, identify our patterns and our behaviors, and focus on our own healing, that's when we will ultimately rise above and rise through it. It's when we stop focusing on our own healing or accept our own behaviors that we will constantly be in that approval cycle, trying to get and receive everyone else's approval. You have to step back, accept your imperfections as opportunities and beauty within. It doesn't mean that when I accept who I am and my worthiness, that I'm perfect. I have billions of imperfections. (laughs) Like I am the queen of imperfections. It just means I've accepted them and I've looked inward so that I know that I need to work on these things and I'm aware of them. Not that I'm looking for someone else to make me feel better or someone else to validate me. I have to work on those things. Yeah. And we've talked about this and it goes into people filling the void. Yes. You know, it goes exactly into that is that when we have a void, we have a tendency to numb. We use alcohol. We have a tendency to become like isolated. We have a tendency to push people away to run or the opposite. We have a tendency to ask others to fill our empty void. Yeah. And what happens is that when we have a void, the only person that is responsible and can fill that void as ourselves. And we cannot do it with other people. And we cannot put those expectations on other people. And being healthy enough to come into a relationship, you have to have two healthy people that identify that they're responsible for their own identity, their own filling their own voids, and then coming together in a healthy way. But no, that's your typical codependent relationship is I'm going to fix you, you fix me, or you got to fix you in order to be with me. And the truth is that you can't fill that void with other things or people. Right. You have to fill it yourself with healing. And that's something that I think sometime around this time last year, might've been even the summer that you and I talked about where I was filling the void of, and not thinking that I had a void, but ultimately, okay, my wife is, is deceased now. I'm raising three kids. I'm ready to start venturing out there. And of course, there comes the barrage of rejection that I still didn't realize I had. But ultimately, yeah. I wasn't 
trying to find a relationship. I was just simply, I felt like I was empty. I didn't have my wife anymore. So just having a companion. I wasn't even necessarily looking for a new wife, but I wanted somebody to sit on the couch with. I wanted somebody to go out to dinner with. I wanted to have an adult conversation with a a 12-year-old or, you know, a a one-year-old at the time when things like that. It's just, man, my profession is training dogs. So it was either having conversation with dogs or kids. Like There was no adults in there. And... But you had mentioned to me about, Joseph, all those things are, even if I would have got married at a good time, if I was still in the same position that I'm in, finding marriage or finding a relationship wasn't going to fill the void because I had to fill it within myself. I had to do internal work. And I'm at a place now in my life, it's just going through different things instead of worrying about, this is one of my biggest life lessons right now, is there are questions that I will never get answers to. And understanding that has allowed me to say, what, if I did get an answer, I may not like it. (laughs) And if I did, what is it going to solve? Versus just saying, you know what, I don't have the answer to that question. Because a lot of the questions that we start asking ourselves are never about us. It's about the situation. Well, and the the more that we look at ourselves and our interpretations of our experiences, we create stories. Yes. <laughs> and it's only our version of the story. Yeah. And sometimes those stories can make us a little crazy, but they're all stories. Right. So one of the things that I think really stands out for me is when people say they're lonely. So being alone is a state of being. Right. Loneliness is a state of mind. Oh, that's good. And so you have to change your mindset because being alone is actually healthy and it's beautiful. And you learn so much about yourself in that time frame. It's just that loneliness state of mind makes us feel like we need to fill that void. And the truth is that, that, that fear, whatever's holding us back from our state of being alone is the stories that we create in our mind that I'm going to be alone forever. (laughs) That I, do I have to do this forever? So these are all continuous stories that we create. And once we get past that, being alone actually is healthy and beautiful. Even when you're in a relationship, because you're two independent people coming together. For people that are listening, ultimately, no matter what we're going through, One is an understanding that the pain that we go through, there's a purpose in it. And that's the point of the the name of the the podcast, the, the purpose of all of this is there's a reason we're going through it. But instead of, you know, I didn't really have anybody to blame when my wife died. I didn't blame God, but I had such peace about everything. Now was more of a journey of me figuring out me. And it's been a little over two years now. January was two years that my dad and my wife passed away all in the same month. And for me, I had a similar background. I I wouldn't say that I did because my background was several. It still wasn't a good family upbringing. Even though we were born and raised in church, things like that. Dad was very abusive. When my mom died in 2005, I was 26 years old. And I didn't have the relationship with my dad. I hated my dad. But fast forward... After my mom passed away, my dad, fast forward 14 years, my dad passed away my best friend. And then, of course, 22 days later, my wife passed away. And so you get hit, this double whammy, so to say, and then you realize, 
And it necessarily doesn't take that right there, but it did for me. I realized I'm like, who am I? Oh, yeah. You know, because- any, any monumental change in your life makes you question not only who you are, but what are you doing? 100%. Because we spend a lot of our lives, especially as young adults, you're trying to achieve so much that you don't stop for long enough to see like with, or to look within Yeah, you're running so fast trying to achieve this, achieve that, because that's what is perceived as the right thing to do. But when something hits you as big as the trauma that you're expressing, it makes you question everything. None of that stuff matters anymore. No, None of the achieving or over, yeah, like overworking yourself or running in circles and trying to add so many things to your plate, everything stops. Yeah, yeah. And what was so crazy is I didn't realize how much I sought for my dad's approval until he was gone. And this, yeah. I would go to call him up to ask for, I'm 30 years old, I'm 35 years old, I'm 40 years old. I'm like, hey dad, what do you think about this? I'm like, dad's not there to call. And it started, I started realizing how much hurt I had, not even just hurt, but damage, trauma I had in me that I had never healed from was still completely unresolved. And then I got to thinking, I'm like, I just had a 14 year marriage that I had brought all this into. We talked about not only the void, but when you get into a new relationship with somebody is the baggage. And and I want you to share that analogy with me because I'm like, (laughs) Well, that's a no-brainer about where baggage is. It's a funny is. analogy when you think about it. Is like, an, and I'm such an analogy kind of guy. I love analogies. That's how I teach everything yeah. is analogies. But share with the listeners what you talked about baggage because it's not just it's not just going into a new relationship, but it's life in general because it could be going into a new job. It could be raising your kids. It could be everything. It could be you anything. Bring, everything. So imagine you're going on a week-long vacation and you just packed all your bags, right? So you typically carry your your luggage behind you, especially when you have a large load of luggage. Think about it differently and imagine that now that luggage behind you is 40 years (laughs) that you still have. And when you try and come into someone's life or start a relationship and you haven't actually unpacked all that luggage or all that baggage, All you're doing is bringing it in between you. And so the amount of space that that creates and pushes you guys apart is because you guys haven't individually gone through and unloaded all the baggage from the last 40 years. And so what's going to happen is it's always going to create a wedge. And until each of you individually unpack that 40 years of vacation baggage, right? Right. (laughs) Like not that it was a vacation at all, but until you unpack it, you will never be close to anyone, including your kids. You have to unpack it and it's painful. It's not fun. No one likes to unpack after a vacation because what do you have to do? (laughs) You have to wash the clothes. You have to put them away. It's life. And imagine the things that you have to unpack from your childhood that you've never unpacked. Yeah. Yeah. And those are things that really matter that we continue to tuck away and hide. And instead of unpacking our bag, we just keep putting it back in the closet. And that's when we talk about you're just hiding and you're running away from the things that you need to face because you keep just pushing things away. 
And what's going to happen is it's going to always create a wedge between you and the people that you love. Wow. How would you, what advice would you give to the listeners about, I don't know if I want to, not just going through the baggage, but to, yeah, how does somebody go through the baggage by themselves? So you're never really alone. You have to seek out resources and support in order to help you. Otherwise, you're just hiding, right? So there's the Bloom app is all about cognitive behavioral therapy and how to work through some of those thoughts. The therapy, there's all types of different therapy, not just counseling, that helps you like really unpack some of that stuff because you can't always do the unpacking alone. You just can't count on someone who's not qualified to help you unpack. (laughs) So you're right. And you can't put it on their plate to do it for you. You have to get the support and help you need, whether it's writing, whether it's painting, whether it's getting that outlet to bring you back to a place where you actually look internally and identify, okay, these are the things that I'm aware of. These are the triggers I have, and this is the conscious effort that I'm going to make to work through this so that I'm a whole person when it comes to the next person I have in my life. I'm wholeheartedly going to be ready for that. It doesn't mean you're healed like you're fully healed. Healing is an ongoing process forever and ever, but it just means that you're in a place where you're healthy enough to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. And there's a difference between moving forward and healing versus running away, hiding. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And people think sometimes that when we start to go through the healing process and some things you get healed of right away and some things there are a journey. There's not a timeline to healing. It's its own timeline. It's its own. Absolutely. But there are things that we get over fairly fast and we don't have problems with those things anymore. And then there's things just, oh, I didn't even... I didn't even know I still had those things, you know, or there's things that you thought you healed from and then they come back and you're like, darn it. I have to do this again. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Without a doubt. So you have something that a project that you're working on a book. Yes. Tell us a little bit Um, about that. this, This has been something that I just went in kicking and screaming. I am not a writer. I'm not a speaker. I'm none of those things. I am just a mom and a business owner. Okay. Like I am not a writer, an author, any of those things, but I really felt like after all the things that I've been through, if I didn't invest a little bit of that time to give back, like my whole purpose in life is to help others heal. And why not use my story and give some of my experiences an opportunity to help others And so I'm writing a book and it's called, you can't heal when you hide. That is so good. Yeah. It's all about coming out from our, whether we're hiding behind a Facebook feed or we're actually hiding in the closet. Like I have a tendency to do. Like I, I knew that the more you hide, the best way to say this is we are as sick as our secrets because the secrets are what keep us from healing. And the moment that we start to bring those things out and up to the surface, the moment they lose their power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this one thing that has helped, honestly has helped me in my own therapy or my own healing is sharing my story. Yeah. You know, and every time you share it, 
you heal a different way. Absolutely. Because there's, I've gotten what I thought was past a lot of the emotional part of sharing the story until I started doing the podcast and I started sharing it all over again. And in my mind, it's, this is a whole brand new yeah, bunch you have of to listeners. Re- you have to hash it out all over again. Yeah, you know, because it's also, when I first was going to start the podcast, it's like, okay, this is about the death and the journey of my wife and her cancer and me and the business and the three kids and journey in life from there. But then it, I got to start thinking about all the things that I've been going through over the last you know two years since she passed away has all made my childhood things from my childhood resurface that I'm just like, oh, I didn't think about bullying having any impact. I didn't think about the abuse from my dad having the, you know, impact of rejection. And it's those things right there that as I have begun to share, I've also begun to heal in my own self. And And you can learn a lot about talking about your past trauma. That's why counseling is so impactful because all you're doing is finding the answers in your own story. The counselor is just listening and asking questions, but you're actually the one finding the answers. It's so funny that you say that because when I recorded one of my episodes this morning, I talked about the answers that we need in life, the direction, everything's already within us. When we go to the counselors, they just help bring it out because what do they ultimately do? Tell me what happened. Let's talk about it. And as we begin to talk about it, not only do we start healing because of releasing emotions, but then we also start finding direction in it. And you're like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Or, oh, yeah. I, realized I did that. And because it was like when I was asked the other day, it's like, why do I want to fix everything? Why do I want to fix relationships? Why do I want to fix people? And I always reverted back to my backgrounds in medicine and sports medicine and, and things like that. But then I got to thinking about, no, this went all the way back to my childhood and, living uh, and wanting to get out of trauma. Wanting to get out of those situations led to me always wanting to fix things. And so I'm realizing now, is, I can't fix anything. <laughs> I can't fix people. I can only work on myself. And some of the times, like when people have trust issues too, yeah. think about like trust issues. It's typically an indication that they don't trust their own judgment because of their experiences. It's the same thing. It's past experiences, whether it's childhood or even recent past experiences that impact our behavior because we question ourselves. And that's what creates those trust issues. That's what brings back up old pain. And talking about it helps us to not only release it, it helps us to find the answer within ourselves. Yes. And, and we convert that pain into purpose by following that. Yes. And there's something I've always said when I hear people say, well, I can't, or especially women, I can't trust men. I can't trust men because of this, this, this. And I'm like, it's not that you can't trust men. And then men. what I hear is I can't, can't trust, trust my own sin. judgment. Exactly. And that's exactly what I say. I said, it's not that you can't trust men. It's like you can't trust yourself to make the right decisions when it comes to men. Or you don't trust your intuition. Right. Or from whatever experience you've had, you've made some choices that have led you to the wrong experiences or wrong people. And now you're afraid to trust others because you're scared to feel that way again. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all common things. The biggest, like the biggest component is awareness. Once you're aware of why you're doing things, And once you see it, when you're triggered, you can practice working on it and fixing it. 
But if you are blind to those things, then you'll never be able to pass them. (laughs) Like they'll always be in front of you. And once you start to acknowledge the triggers and work through it, it's not a pretty picture. You're still, it's still work for, it's called work for a reason. (laughs) You still have to work through it. It's just now you're aware and now you're changing your behavior and now you're intentional. Absolutely. That's good stuff. Serena, what would you, if you can give a couple pointers or some nuggets to our listeners on the things that they've gone through, and even let's say they, they, they may be at a point now that they're just like you and I, where they've found some things to move out of, or even people that are like, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. What would be some things that you can leave with them on how to move forward? So one thing I've learned is to own my story. And own my circumstances, good or bad, and love myself through it, giving myself grace. Change can be good and change can be bad, but most often change just is. And change teaches us that valuable lesson that sometimes we have to dig deep so that we can see the beauty in the suffering. We can find purpose in that pain. And then the other part is Our relationship with ourselves sets the tone for our relationship with everyone else in our lives. And so if we don't take the time to invest in ourselves and our own healing and our own growth and our own development, whatever it may be, if I don't love myself, then how could I teach my children to love themselves? And so you have to take the time to look at your heart, look within And really be aware and intentional about making those changes because you have two choices. You can live with it or you can fix it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is so great. Serena, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to bring you back. I know everybody's (laughs) going to be so excited about this. I am. I'm going to be able to go back and listen to it. But I definitely want to have you back and talk about since the death of Kyle, what have you and your two children been going through and and how you are making it through this? Because ultimately, we want to be able to find that purpose. We want to be able to get through the pain, the agony, the struggles and things like that. So thank you so much for coming on. And I just, I can't, I'm honored. I'm honored to have you on here. I'm honored to to, to be your healing partner because we are healing partners and so thank you so so much thank you so much for having me i am completely humbled by this experience because i'm really not good at this so i appreciate you giving me the chance to practice (laughs) and to share my story because i think it's important awesome thank you so much thank you for listening to the purpose through pain podcast if you enjoyed the show please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on itunes And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.